Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore focus writers from Blizzard Watch, and I've got both of my wonderful co-hosts with me today. First up, eh, let's introduce him first because he's here. Hey, it's Joe Perez. Hey, Joe. Well, hi there, folks. How you doing? I am doing fantastic. I have just spent a ton of money on Amiibos because I am a totally a, a mark for collectible things. <laughs> I have not gotten into that whole fad, which is probably a good thing. Yeah. Um, the Call of Zelda is really strong, though. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Anyway, uh, second co-host with us. He's also a lore focus writer over on Blizzard Watch, and that would be Matthew Rossi. Hey, Rossi, how's it going? Go see Justice League. <laughs> we were just talking about this before I started up the it's, show here. It's practically my name now. Like, if I, I it's like I'm in real you life. You just change I'm... your Twitter handle to that. <laughs> I might do that. Yes, that's actually a good idea. Uh, but yeah, it, I, I'm I'm in a much better mood after having seen that movie. And I I, I was trying to think of the person of the name of the character to say this. Um, I want them to cast uh, Jason Momoa as one of the troll mains. He'd be perfect. Ooh. I would be so down with that. Actually, I'd okay. yeah, I'd be okay with that. Ever seen the picture of him walking with his two bodyguards? Yes. No. Where he's there's a picture out there. It was he's like, bigger than his bodyguards, like by a bodyguards. considerable margin. Someone said, I want to be so jacked someday that I look like a boss who has too many bosses following me around that you have to fight before you get to fight me. Because that's what it looks like. It looks like he, he seriously looks like a wow boss with too many bosses following him around. Because the bodyguards are jacked too, but he's just way bigger than they are. <laughs> well, alrighty then. Uh, this week, uh, let's see. Well, last time, last time was kind of a lengthy episode because we were kind of going over everything that BlizzCon had given us in terms of new lore and stuff like that. Uh, we've gotten lots of emails between now and then, so we're going to go ahead and address those. But um, first off, uh, we, we got an email, and I kind of want to address this. I didn't, I'm not including the name with the email because I'm sure there are people that share the sen- sentiment either one way or the other, and I figure we should probably address it now because... Let's face it, Battle for Azeroth is all about the whole faction conflict thing. That seems to be what they were hyping up at BlizzCon, so I'm pretty sure we're going to get a lot of this. Anyway, email says, Good evening. Is there any chance you can turn down your bias towards the Alliance when discussing the lore, particularly with regards to Battle for Azeroth? Having listened to your most recent episode, listening to you constantly belittle the Horde while consistently talking about how amazing the Alliance are became tedious and tough to listen to as a Horde player. Thanks. All right. I'm I'm just speaking as the person who's like running this show here. I I don't know. I can't speak for you Rossi or you Joe, but as for myself, I have no bias. Like there is no bias one way or the other. Some weeks we will talk about alliance things. Some weeks we will talk about horde things. Some weeks we'll just go into whatever we happen to think is cool at the time. But there's never been any kind of bias situation and there never will be we're just as likely to gush over horde stuff as we are alliance stuff on any given day of the week it's just whatever story happens to be interesting at the time um and the thing is is like i don't think that we've ever really expressed a bias what we do is we get really excited about the bits of story that are really interesting sometimes those lean more towards one faction than another but I guarantee you we're going to be just as excited about stuff from Horde as we are from Alliance. I don't, I don't really think that there's a point to be made here, except that I wouldn't call this podcast biased towards one faction or another. What we're biased towards is lore in general <laughs> on the show. Gameplay is one thing, but we're very much about the story and all different sides and aspects of the story, and our conversations will go all over the place. Um, and I don't know if you, Joe, or you, Rossi, want to pitch in and contribute to that. Feel free. Go ahead. I just want to say we're going to go wherever the story goes, like Ann said. like It's going to be things that excite us or things that are relevant. If a short story comes out that is focusing on the Alliance and it's got lore beats to it, we're going to talk about it. If story comes out that focuses on horde lore beats, we're going to focus on it. And as somebody who plays both factions, who loves both factions, I don't really have a bias except for the fact that, you know, I have things like a dog named Sylvanas because I absolutely love the character, but that's what it is for me. It's about loving the character. And I believe that's for us here is just 
the stories and the characters, it doesn't matter what faction or, or what focus they are, as long as there's something we latch onto and we find enjoyable, we're going to talk about it. Yeah. And we've done we've done entire horror episodes before too. Like yeah. so what I was gonna say was I think all three of us pretty much have max level characters on both sides of the faction mm-hmm. fence, don't we? I do, as of, do as of a couple weeks ago. I have a Torin, yeah. I have like I think I have three of each or four of each. Um, I've played through both sides many times. So <laughs> I don't really have a preference one way or the other. It's just, hmm, what do I feel like playing today? You know, uh, my main is Horde. My main will probably always be Horde. I can't really see making her alliance and making that work from an RP story perspective, which is where I'm approaching things from, not necessarily like a gameplay or where to go. It's just this is what I've chosen to do with my character. Um, Rossi, did you have anything to add? I kind of do, but I'm not... Well, I'll start and you can tell me. Like, I, I want to tell a little story about a character named Vorn. Uh, Vorn is my first Horde character. I rolled him back during... Uh, I think it was like 2005, 2006. Can you keep and, it short? Uh, I'm going to try. Uh, okay. He was a he was a Torin, and I rolled him because I had friends on... Uh, I want to say Malfurion, but I don't remember exactly what server I originally played him on because he's jumped around quite a bit. Um, and, uh, you know, I played through all of the vanilla story on him and there were some there was some stuff that I didn't like like I straight up got mad about um I keep telling the story about the time I had to go to Ashara so I'm not going to tell it again but um, when I played him one of the things that really came to me for that character for that for the Torin I I have a deep and abiding love for the Torin I always have I think the Torin are one of the most interesting complex fascinating races on Azeroth uh, and I've only seen their story get deeper as we've moved through expansions, um, the Tonka and Wrath were really fascinating, an offshoot of the Torn people. Um, the the uh, Yongal and Mists, who are essentially the the group from which all other Torin people kind of deviate from. Like they're the original Torin uh, before the Torin even called were even called that. The Shuhalo, they they come from the Yongal. Everybody does. The Yongal are the original group, and I've. I'm never going to not like Torin. I'm never going to think anything negative about them. Not not that they don't do bad things. The Grim Totem do bad things, but I enjoy the character of the of the race, the group within the horde. Their their unique place. There is no alliance race like them. Now, when I have a problem with stuff in the game, I have a problem with the story of the game, which is, is which is basically the writers. This game is written it didn't. It doesn't come out of existence like because there's a cosmic egg that hatches and tells people, okay, here's the next expansion. People sit down and write it. If I don't like something that's there happening, there is a cosmic egg. His name is Chris Metzen. No, um, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> poor Chris Metzen, <laughs> stuck in a room somewhere. No, they, they they told people he was. They keep him in the basement, no. like the Oracle at Delphi. Every no. now and again, oh, they oh, go he was down retired, there. Retired, all right. <laughs> retired to the basement. But anyway, go ahead. Like, like I, I'll be upfront that I do not like the burning of Darnassus, but I would not like the burning of Darnassus, no matter how it happened. If it happened as completely justifiable revenge and the fact of Forsaken, I don't like it because I like Darnassus. And I know, you know, it's, there's stuff that happens that you don't like as a player in the story. That's, that's a problem with the writing. It's not like, you know, the Horde and the Alliance aren't real. I don't even necessarily think that it's a problem with the writing, though, because the thing is, is the point of being a writer and the point of doing a game like this is to get people invested in the story that you're telling. I mean, mean personally. Personally. I'm just speaking personally. Okay. It's a problem I have with the writing, not with, like, the Alliance and Horde aren't real. No. At the end of the day, they're not real. I don't have a bias against one or the other because they're not real. They don't actually exist. This is a game I play. And plus, we're gonna we're actually gonna answer a question. We're gonna talk about a question. One of the ones we got here, which will I'll talk more about it. That's why I, I don't have a ton to say right now because I think I can make my answer make more sense there. So I'm just gonna say right now that I don't have a problem with either faction because they're not real. They're just they're parts of a story that I'm experiencing. That's sometimes I don't like the actions of one group in that story. Just the way I would, I'd not like it when I'm reading a book and one of the characters does something I don't like. It doesn't mean that the book is bad, and it doesn't mean that I don't like the story. It just means I'm like, oh God, why did he do that? Do you know and what I'm saying? The thing is, is like, like I said, you know, from a, just from a sheer writing perspective, if your story doesn't have conflict, that's going to be a very boring story. You got to create that conflict somewhere. Is the faction war kind of tired and old? Maybe a little, but. It's the story that Warcraft has to tell. It's a story that Warcraft has been telling 
ever since Orcs versus Humans. I mean, it's right there in the title. This is this is a story very much about conflict. So, no, I'm not going to agree with everything that's in the game, but I'm going to be very passionate about the stuff that I do agree with and the stuff that I don't agree with. And I think that's a lot of, you know, when we get into arguments or discussions or things like that on here, it's it's not a sign that we hate one faction or don't like another faction or don't like this or don't like that. It's a sign that we are really invested in this little make-believe story and we really enjoy it. So I don't want to I want to make a reference really fast to a discussion Joe and I once had about druids. Sure. Do you guys oh, remember yeah. that? <laughs> Joe and I Yeah, I had to put other. I had to time out the both of you yeah. cuz you were going back and forth. Joe and I went at each other. We neither hate each other nor do we hate druids, but we had we each had an idea and we really didn't agree that's gonna happen you're gonna not always agree on on stuff you love that's because you love it you know you, there's it hooks into you i've been playing world of warcraft for, for like how long 13 long. years <laughs> it's the 13th anniversary of world of warcraft yeah just of world of warcraft and before that was warcraft 3 and warcraft 2 and you mm-hmm. know all the the all the Warcrafts we've loved before, man. I mean, it's just this isn't a setting that's been around for a long time, and I've been involved with it in one way or another for a long time. So yeah, I'm gonna. There's stuff I like and stuff I don't like, and they're they're, they're not gonna be the same as other people's. But that doesn't mean, you know, um, if it's very hard not to like. S- there's certain characters that I'll never ever ever say anything negative about, like Sorfang. Sorfang can literally do no wrong for me. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. He's, he's bad-mouthing me to my face because I'm on an Alliance character. I'm like, you be you, Sarfang. Yeah, I'm going to beat you up in the arena now, but I totally love you. Okay, before we get too off-topic here, because this isn't, I mean... Yeah, no, let's get into this. We thing. need to get into the other emails, but I'm just going to reiterate here. We don't have a faction bias. We've never really had a faction bias. We're biased for story over gameplay, if anything, and... That would be why this podcast exists. We talk about lore. So, yeah. Um, Let's just put the kibosh on that right now. I know we're going to be hearing more of it as we get into the whole battle for Azeroth thing. But I don't think that it's really necessary or applicable to this show. So let's just move on here. Uh, Next email is from Matunos, who says, Question for the Lore Watch podcast. What are your thoughts on this quote from Alex Afrasiabi in PC Gamer? Quote, We feel the, the... the Alliance Horde divide is foundational and fundamental to World of Warcraft as a franchise and as a story, but we danced around it for a very long time. We've had run-ins, we've had close calls, but we've never been able to finish it to have that resolution. We're coming out of this expansion legion, and the world is not in a great place. The players and the factions themselves are not in a great place because there's all of this old animosity that hasn't been resolved. It's time to resolve it. End quote. This makes me think we may see some kind of end to faction divides, or at least a live and let live. So, what are you guys' thoughts on that? Um, Joe? Um, uh, I don't know, because I don't think we're going to see an end to the conflict there, because unless unless every single NPC that's been involved in the game world is dead, and we start with a completely new slate of characters, I really don't see how that's possible because every single character. Well, Christy Golden ha- does have a kill list. We found that out at BlizzCon. Oh, I, I am aware, <laughs> but I don't think it's going to be a wipe the board clean sort of Wrath of God type situation here. They hired Christy, and she's just burn it all. <laughs> <laughs> that's why Madison's in the basement. Yep. <laughs> but I mean, it's it's one of those things where there's always going to be conflict and tension between them. It's never going to be a true live and let live because think about it. If Greymane survives and Silvana survives for whatever reason, are those two ever going to be able to say live and let live? Probably not. I mean, you have to look at it like that. They're they're like Ann said earlier, if you don't have conflict, you have a really boring story. And I do agree somewhat with the sentiment that the conflict between the two factions is, it is legitimately a basis for this game. It is a solid point for, for what we're playing through. It has been for years. Don't forget the horde were originally written as the bad guys. They, they were the antagonists, right? So there's always going to be that sort of level of, of animosity between them. And I'm okay with that. As long as it doesn't become all consuming, Would I like to see them have bigger threats to, to worry about than each other. Yeah. Those tend to be the stories that I like the most. Do I mind having political court intrigue and, and sort of plots against each each other faction? I actually like that too. So I think there's think, a balance that can be done. Yeah. Do you think that we're going to see some kind of end to faction divides or at least a live and no. let live out of this? 
No, not even close. Like, okay. at, at most, we're going to get exactly what we got in Legion, where it's like, we got something bigger to deal with. Let's go deal with that. Okay, we're done. Sweet. All right, where were we? Okay, here's my knife. Here's your knife. Let's go. Like, that's what I see happening. It's like the human and the orc at the end of Miss of Pandaria. It's exactly in the bar. what it is. That's exactly <laughs> he had what a hat. <laughs> that, is, yeah. that is the perfect, a perfect representation of it. Yep. <laughs> okay, Rossi, same question. Uh, I mean, obviously, I don't know anyone Joe does. I, you know, we don't know what's coming. Uh, if we knew what was coming, it wouldn't be Lore Watch. It would be Lore Predictions. But... I'm choosing to look at what Afrasiabi said as a sign of hope that we are finally going to settle this thing and it can finally be done because I, I agree with this. We've had run-ins, we've had close calls. We've never been able to finish it. I agree with that. Like we haven't had it finished since Warcraft two. Warcraft two is the last time that we finally had a, a solid one side, one point in this faction war. It's the last time that happened. And I would like it to finally, you know, if the Horde has to win to get it to, to stop, then fine, let them win. You know, whoever, whoever wins is unimportant necessarily compared to the idea that they could finally just stop. And, and the thing is, we said, you know, Joe said that thing about how Gen and Sylvanas could never coexist. And maybe that means one of them has to die. But one of the things I was thinking was you can have people who've done horrible things to each other just finally decide, you know, we need to end the cycle. And they talked about that at the beginning of this. It was like a series of alliances broken. It's a cycle of hatred, I believe was the exact word, which goes back to that original, that Chris Metzen book, Cycle of Hatred. And the the idea that That Jaina used to stand for. That was somebody else. Okay, well, Cycle of Hatred, I don't remember who wrote it then. I'm sorry. Yeah, he wrote Blood and Honor. Sorry, that was my bad. Anyway, um, Cycle of Hatred, the basic premise of it is that it's the hatred between the two factions fuels... Like a, a terrible scenario with a demon and so forth. It's but it's the as long as you don't break that cycle, it just keeps going. And that was what back in the day, that was what Jaina's whole thing was. You know, she was trying to break the cycle of hatred. With Jaina being so important in this expansion, and with that cycle of hatred line in the tr- cinematic, one of the things I first started thinking about was this Jaina's. What is Jaina's journey in this expansion? What does she do? Like, is she just full on destroy the horde now? Or is she going to basically start there and go somewhere? And what's that going to do to other characters? What, are we going to see, you know, Gen and Sylvanas finally come to a place where they both realize we're hurting our own people more than we're resolving anything? And maybe that's the resolution we're finally going to come to. I don't, Joe, when Joe says that we're never going to see it end, it's just going to be like the end of, of Legion where we have, you know, where Legion comes up and we have bigger fish to fry. I, I hope he's wrong. I, I hope. And no offense to Joe, but I hope you're wrong. Oh no, I hope I'm. I hope I'm wrong too. Because one of the things I would actually really like to see in this story isn't necessarily everybody's lovey-dovey. I don't want the Horde and Alliance necessarily linking arms and jogging through a, med, a, me, a meadow or anything here. That's not what I'm going for. Uh, but I would like it if <clears throat> we finally get to a place where the two factions can basically look at each other and say, "This all-out war we're getting into every so often is not. It's not working." It all we're doing is killing a whole bunch of our people and making the planet weaker, and it's because it, it's called battle for Azeroth. You know what I mean? That's one of the things I've been thinking about because we we know we've actually got. I think we've got a question later on that talks about yeah. that. So I'm just gonna say like we we know that we learn in Legion that Azeroth is a thing, and we know that that goes forward into this expansion. So I I'm hopeful that there's going to be a point where these two factions can finally say. We're never going to like you, and there's probably always going to be some conflict between us, but this doesn't work, and the story can move forward. It doesn't necessarily have to be, like, I don't, I don't know, I'd like to, to be able to group with my friends. That's, we, we've talked about that, but that's, not a, that's a, not a story thing. That's gameplay. So for story purposes, what I'd like to see at the end of this is a different status quo. That's what I'm going for. So I hope Afrasiabi's quote is important in that regard. I think... Um... As far as I'm concerned, this kind of goes back to what I've been saying. I think I said it in the last Lore Watch, and I think I said it in the BlizzCon podcast, too, is that this whole faction conflict storyline has been, like, the 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 B plot for many an expansion, where it's it's running in the background there, and sometimes we're given an explanation for it, and sometimes it's just going on there, and the whole reasoning for it is, hey, we can introduce new battlegrounds, we could do all this PvP stuff, that's okay, that's fine. That's cool. PvP's great. I like watching arenas every now and again. But 
we've never actually that story has never been given its chance in the spotlight before it's never been given a proper look and i keep going back to warlords <laughs> i keep going back to warlords because warlords was just sheer ridiculousness as far as you know the whole faction conflict thing went we we had just come out of an expansion where the the pandaren had very deliberately pointed out that there was this whole cycle going on of where we fight and we fight and when we're not fighting bigger things we're fighting each other and that's what makes us strong and da 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 and you know war crimes had everybody going oh well maybe we should get along and everything and then we get to war- we get to warlords and immediately we're fighting pvp on an island over an artifact that we never really got any full explanation for or anything like that so it's that kind of treatment that i always kind of hated to see because that factional conflict it's like didn't didn't Varian and Vol'jin already like shake hands at the end of Siege of Orgrimmar and agree to keep their distance? Like, are we already going back on that? Do they know about it? I mean, I guess it doesn't matter now because both of them are dead. But at the same time, it's just one of those things where it's like, this is the story that probably needs to be told right now because that chapter needs to actually have some kind of fun. it can't be the b story forever if it's the b story forever then that b story ceases to be interesting or meaningful so i don't know how they're going to resolve it me personally like i know we had just gotten done talking about how we focus on lore over gameplay but from a gameplay perspective if they wanted to like switch it up so that the story is okay we're getting along now we can go ahead and group together for pve or whatever get rid of that factional divide and relegate pvp to okay we're fighting skirmish battles and stuff like that just to keep in shape and practice and all that other thing hey i'd be cool with that i mean I don't really care either way, but I I do feel like this is the story that kind of needs to be told. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we'll see an end of faction divides or not. That's something that we'll have to see at the end of the next expansion. Anyway, next email is from Strife, who says, Love your podcast, and I have a question in relation to the overall why of events that has been happening to our world. Do you think the her in the third death quote, and this is, uh, was it a Zalatath quote? No, no. I, I think it goes back to uh, Ilganoth. It's the Ilganoth quote at the hour Ilganoth, of her third okay. death. We will be ushered. Yeah, I was going to say there's Ilganoth, there's Naifu, and then there's the puzzle box of Yogg-Saron, and they all get kind of jumbled together because they all say. Okay, okay, can we not call it Naifu when we're not humoring Mitch? <laughs> okay, we'll not we'll not say well, it when Mitch isn't yeah, around. Anyway, Zalatath. No Mitch. Zalatath. Anyway, do you think the her in the third death quote from Ilganoth refers to Azeroth herself, given that the creation of the Well of Eternity is the first time Azeroth became mortally wounded, and the Sundering was the second time that wound got busted open to become the Maelstrom? Do you think the Cataclysm was the third time when Deathwing forced his way out of the Maelstrom, or are we yet to witness the third death? Love your show. Kind regards. Strife. I, you know, we had like all kinds of uh, of speculation about the third death, and Azeroth was one of those things that we talked about. I don't know if the cataclysm, if I'd call the cataclysm the third death, because I... I mean, it changed the face of the world, yes, but did it damage that much more? Maybe not. It also depends on what's what the def- definition of death is. Like, if we're talking yeah. about real death, there's only a handful of of characters that have died, like legitimately died more than once sylvanas is one of those sylvanas is probably my chief suspect at this point yeah because she because she died became the banshee. she died became the banshee became the banshee queen at the end of wrath of the lich king she She leapt off the frozen throne died again saw what death had to offer and said nope 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 and scurried back out of there thanks to the valkyr we haven't seen a third death from her yes we have i've seen a third death from her what's her third death she oh, yeah, that's killed. right. She got shot. Yeah, she got killed by Darius Crowley. That's right. She got shot. Mm, Crowley, okay. Not Crowley. Uh, the guy from uh, Shadowfang Keep, whose name I can't remember, the traitorous one. Yeah. But Godfrey. 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 Yeah. Unless, unless, and again, like my thing with it is like we, it could be the, you know, hour of her third death as like this link to the void, right? I don't know. Mm. It, it, but, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's Azeroth. I really do not believe that it is because you don't Azeroth, think it's Azeroth? Azeroth hasn't really died. Azeroth has been mortally wounded, though. But has not died. And this a mortal is wound is not death, right? Like, you can lose a limb and still live. Like, okay. And I hate, to, I hate to say that, but it, it's... 
she has never ceased to exist. She's been there. She's whether nascent or not, she has been there and she yeah. hasn't been replaced or ceased to exist or died. So I don't think it's her. I really don't. Who do you think it is then? I honestly do think it's Sylvanas and I think it has everything to do with her tie to the void since becoming the Banshee Queen. Mm-hmm. That that weird state between life and but death. But then she's had the three deaths already. Well, not if you don't count her mortal one. Her mortal death being raised was not as an agent of it wasn't at the hands of being linked to the void, right? It was something that just happened. But it doesn't say anything about linked to the void. You, right, but the, well, if you're not going to old... count Azeroth yeah. because she hasn't had a death, you can't count Sylvanas because one of her deaths is one too many. Okay, so Rossi, who do you think then? I don't, I'm starting to think about other people because uh, Helia kind of comes to mind. And Ashara, too. If you consider death not as death, but as a dramatic change in the tarot sense, Ashara mm-hmm. had at least one. Helia is interesting, actually. Well, I did, I did a KYL a while back about Helia and... Because she and has Ovi. had two deaths now. Yeah. Um, and, and the thing about Helia is that she died the first time because Odin killed her. And it depends on like who you listen to. Odin tells the story differently. Like Odin talks about how he was uh, you know, forced. He was trying to save her after they had gotten into a fight. But she tried to draw in too much power from the Deathlands and was going to die. And he raised her that way. Versus... Um, you know, the, the usual story that Odin just killed her and raised her himself, but that's her first death, and we just gave her her second, so she's got one to go. And the thing is, is that I don't buy that she's gone well, just because she died. She's tied she was little... to the Shadowlands and everything, too. Yeah, which, you know, the Shadowlands are a realm of death that's, you know, outside our world, but not in the realm of the true necromantic energy yet. It's like a borderland. You kill her there, because that's where we killed her. You know, that's where the, the fight was. It was in the Shadowlands. If you die in the Shadowlands, does that just mean you move over to the next one? And she, she already knew how to draw entities out of there. So it's not like... Helia fascinates me as a character and as a, like what she represents. Helia is the one that gave Odin his knowledge of the Shadowlands. She's the one that, you know, he made her... Like, he didn't force her to do this, but he, like... At the time she did it, she was loyal to him, and he was like, bring me a spirit from the Shadowlands, and she did. And keep in mind that that's when Odin made the deal and took out one of his own eyes and traded it to, a, to an agent of, the, of death, essentially. So there's – Helia is interesting to me here. What was her bargain with Sylvanas? We still don't know. Yeah. What, what did Sylvanas give her? Yeah, we know what Sylvanas got, we don't, and we know what she wanted. We don't know what she had to give up. And that's important because one of the things that Sylvanas has that Helia doesn't is a whole lot of, like, not, you know, physical bodies. Helia's dead servants were people who died and came to her realm. She recreated many of them as Cavaldir, but they weren't, you know, the Cavaldir were tenuously physical. That's why they fall apart into nothing when you kill them. Yeah, they're basically made out of, like, seawater and seaweed. Yeah. 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 She didn't have... And she had very few. The only ones I can think of were the the corrupt uh, rune guys that were using the runes incorrectly. You know that that uh, you, you know those oh, yeah, the runes the runes the the rune sayers or whatever the yeah. the heck they called them. And she, even those guys, she you know, Helia was in a weird place. What if she's still around? And what if you never know? It's just I don't know. I don't quite have this yet. It's like it's sticking slightly outside my head, but I, I'm it's there's Helia is involved in this somehow. I, I feel like she is. It's one of those things where it's like her story was too pat and too cut and dry for the amount of introduction they gave us to it. And it feels yeah, like exactly. there's probably more there to be told, particularly with all of the attention that was paid to it in Chronicle Volume Two. So I don't know. I guess we'll find out on that one. Okay, so next email is from Lomshank Wormrest Accord, who says, Loctar Watchers, with the Desolate Council being introduced in the new book, it seems like they aren't a fan of Sylvanas. Do you think that the burning of Teldrassil was caused by this council to frame Sylvanas and the Horde as aggressors, possibly due to the Old Gods orchestrating a faction war? Thanks. I don't think the Old Gods have anything to do with this faction war. And maybe that's a controversial statement. I don't know. But I don't think that the Old Gods have anything to do with this faction war. I think they're just letting us do what we do naturally Mm -hmm. and that happens to be fighting and it's been building and building and building and now it's exploding and the old gods are sitting there you know steepling their fingers and cackling maniacally because this is the kind of chaos that they live for they're cool with it 
they're cool with letting us beat beat the heck out of each other because it leaves Azeroth vulnerable. It serves their purpose, right? Like it doesn't necessarily they don't have to orchestrate it, but if and we've seen this in the past, if if something happens that suits their needs, they're more than willing to just let it go. Like they don't have to intervene. I do I do have to say though, however, that the idea of the desolate council is intriguing to me and I really can't wait for Christie's book here because the idea that there is a faction of Forsaken who's who are saying, you know what, maybe we don't want to live forever or maybe we don't want li- to live forever on your terms. Maybe you've been using us as arrows in your quiver for too long and we don't want to be arrows. Maybe we just want to rest or maybe we want to do our own thing. That fascinates me. There's cause... an interesting thing about them when you when they're first introduced in the in the preview chapter that I always like kind of feel like sticks in my head. Nathanos does not say that they are disloyal to Sylvanas at any point. No, but that they are. It's like it reminded me very much, and th- this happens a lot in history. So I'm going to use the example of Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar had some friends when he was first starting out. Among them was Brutus. Brutus was one of Caesar's greatest friends. As Caesar progressed and became more powerful and eventually became dictator and had the whole thing where he had the crown offered to him three times and said three times he said no, Brutus was the one who watched this and said, wait a minute, he doesn't really look like he doesn't want it. And I find the Desolate Council fascinating because they're old guard. Even even Nathanos says this. These are the old guard. These are people from back when Sylvanas first broke the Lich King's control. These are former citizens of Lordaeron. Yeah. From and way back been- in the Third War. And they've been hers this whole time. They've been, this is, these are not guys who are just like, were just raised and like, I'm not down with this. These are people who've been part of, of the Forsaken and Undercity since Sylvanas took control. And they've been right there. They've been her, like among her loyalist, you know, followers. And they only created Desolate Council because at first there was a power vacuum because Sylvanas was gone so much. And they didn't start saying, you know, we're not really down with this whole immortality thing until they started to see the effect it was having on Undercity. Like, she's never there. And without her there, the, the, the way Undercity was set up, without Sylvanas there, it started to fall apart. They needed the Desolate Council to keep it together. And that's the thing. She's such a force of personality in the Forsaken that she can just rule autocratically and everybody goes along with it. But you pull that cork out of the bottle... And now suddenly Undercity is a whole bunch of of undead people who don't necessarily have anything else in common except that they're undead. Like, no, I didn't like I don't I was I was never like into being in an army. Why do I have to be in an army versus, you know, it's it's fascinating because it, it gives you an idea. The Forsaken are not a monolith. And that statement, that statement from Nathanos, what he pointed out yeah. was wasn't that they were disloyal, just that they were obliged to disagree. And have a dis, you know, a dissenting yeah, opinion, and, and dissenting opinions from each other. Yeah, they don't just. It's not a question of they're all like we're not necessarily down with Sylvanas's plan. They're not even necessarily down with each other's plans. Here's the here's the cool part about this though, and the reason that I like this is that it definitely puts a new layer on the Forsaken, because the Forsaken were all about. They were like. You know, we were slaves under the Lich King's control and then we broke free and now we're free and now we're all going to mindlessly follow Sylvanas because that's what it felt like they were doing for the most part was just kind of rallying under Sylvanas without really having any opinions or anything of their own. Anything that was related to the Forsaken always came through Sylvanas. Always. Yeah. Do you guys remember Leonard Bartholomew? Yeah. He's one of my favorite characters because he is forsaken right through. He is yeah. a forsaken and he's always been there and he's in the Argent Crusade and they're ever when the, when you're there in vanilla, the Argent Crusade are like, "Yeah, don't give him any crap." Okay, let me finish like, my point here. Um the reason that I like this though is like I said, there's like a new layer to the forsaken here where they're being presented as something beyond a mindless bunch of followers. And that that mindless thing it, it was almost kind of like reinforced with the introduction of the Valkyr and the revamped Forsaken starting zone. Because when you're raised in, as like a new Forsaken now, you're given a choice. You can go back to rest or you can live under Sylvanas. And, and that's it. Like, those are your two choices. Um, and then the people that escape are not on good terms with the Forsaken at all whatsoever. Because, 
you you fall in under Sylvanas or you don't fall in at all and you just fall back into the grave. Well, that's yeah. that's very much it's like a it's like a militaristic sort of thing. And and I mean, maybe that's part of what Sylvanas was trying to present to Garrosh because she was trying to show Garrosh the value of the Forsaken. You know, not all Forsaken always agree with Sylvanas because obviously there was the whole battle for the Undercity thing to begin with. I mean, there was a coup within the Forsaken. Whether or not that was a genuine coup or something that Sylvanas manufactured just to get Varimathras out of the picture, still don't know. I like to think that she was really clever and knew exactly what she was doing. But, you know, beyond that, um, the Desolate Council, I don't, I don't think that they had any... I don't think... See, the thing is, is like we can't really make too many predictions on them because all we have is that little tiny slice of prologue. That's it. Yeah, that's why I brought up Bartholomew, though, because it, it really kind of co- it, it reinforces the idea that there have always been Forsaken who, while they might appreciate what Sylvanas did for them, aren't necessarily 100% on board because that's what he was. He was a Forsaken and he wasn't trying to make it, you know, he wasn't like, I'm not a Forsaken, but he was like, yeah, this not, I'm not down with her, with her program. And that's just interesting to see because you, that's one of the weirdest things about the Forsaken revamp that you brought up was if you played through it and, you know, I was on a Torrin, so I was really having a weird time with it. Um, it's like, oh, okay, I'm, I'll totally go over to Fenris Isle now and kill those people for you. Sure. And the, the Valkyrs show up and start raising them. And when they do, they're just like instantly, boom, loyal to Sylvanas instantly. And that's it's weird because it was very contradictory for everything else where they constantly sit saying, oh, no, she's not mind controlling them. But there's no other explanation for what's going on in Fenris Isle. Like it, it, those people were, were staunch against her and then suddenly they're for her. Joe, did and you have anything weird. to add here? I mean, you guys have pretty much covered everything. It's, it's one of those things where I agree, like we don't know nearly enough to really make a judgment call. But I mean, it from a historical standpoint, it makes sense in times of. If you go through kingdoms of the past, when kings were away for very long periods of time, one of two things happened. Either somebody stepped up and assumed power uh, because there was a vacuum. Well, I should say one of three things. Uh, Somebody stepped up and assumed power because there was a vacuum there and and people needed some form of leadership for for day-to-day activities uh, or survival. Um, This could be an individual or could have been a council of folks that would would sit on there, whether it was a set of governors or or whatever the case was, that would then, you know, sort of shepherd the people until the king or queen would return. Um, Or you had somebody appointed to sort of look out for things. Well, Sylvanas doesn't trust anybody aside from Nathanos, really. And he's by her side. So who else is she going to appoint? She just kind of doesn't think like this. She's not... She's not a monarch in the traditional sense. She doesn't think of these types of things. A council springing up doesn't surprise me. And it could be very well just a simple fact of they need to handle the day-to-day sort of everything of Undercity and what the Forsaken need. And this is what the result was. Or it could be a result to just say, look, there's this vacuum. We don't want to have a whole other thing where it's like one other person in charge. Here we go. But then Rossi points out some really interesting things, too, where, yeah, that that whole mind control thing is there, or at least it seems to be a lot more present than it ever was. So if that's the case, how could she not know that this was going to happen? And how could she not go and just say, okay, well, you're under my control anyway, so do this. And then I look at it and like, maybe this is all part of her plan. Maybe this is all part of, of what she has planned for the Forsaken in the future. Maybe she's looking towards a future of the Forsaken where she's not around. And this is something that is about that too, where if she could wipe this out, why isn't she? Or maybe she doesn't, we don't know, but I'd be interested to see if she lets it persist because if she truly cares about the Forsaken as a people and she's not going to be around forever, she doesn't expect to be. I could totally see this being a thing. Yeah. I'm just, there's a lot of curiosity surrounding that desolate council. I just like the concept. I like the concept anyway. Yeah. Moving I don't, on. One thing, one thing before we move on. Okay. Uh, I don't think it's necessary that they had to do anything. I mean, it might be cool if they did, but let's face it, the, the events of this war could happen without them doing anything. Yeah, I don't think that it's really necessary for anyone to set anything up. People are at each other's throats. I mean, stuff's going to happen regardless. That's why I said I don't think that there really needs to be any kind of old god intervention. I think that the Alliance and Horde have been, you know, kind of butting heads back and forth for so long that it's only natural that it kind of comes to a head here so 
you know. Okay, next email here is from Scandal, who's a troll priest. And this was sent, like, right after BlizzCon. This is an older email, but I wanted to bring this up anyway because I thought it was interesting and I liked the thoughts presented here. Uh, says, hey, Lorewatch, Scandal of Ravenholt EU here. As BlizzCon is finishing up, the hype of the expansion announcement is real. While I, as you, expected more of an Old Gods expansion, I think Blizzard actually cleverly chose the expansion name to hint at the things to come. Battle for Azeroth has the potential of a clever double meaning. The first is the obvious territorial war we're about to ensue towards the other faction, but the other will be our battle for our titan, for our titans towards the Old gods void lords they already spoiled ashara as a boss so this thought might not be revolutionary but as a non-native speaker i'm pretty excited at this potential hidden gem not really a question just hyped him with no one to tell it to perhaps this is more obvious to you with the native tongue but anyway love the show keep going strong scandal trolls priest straight out of Sengen, ravenhold eu uh joe you got any thoughts on that double meanings of battle for azeroth so yeah i, I actually really like this train of thought because this is something that i've been sort of thinking about is a lot lately too um and it's not something that is is painfully obvious because as as being a boss isn't necessarily a giveaway she does her own thing right and she was around in legion maybe not as much as we expected but she was around in legion we're fighting on water water's her domain so it's kind of natural but it's kind of a thing uh so her being popping up especially with cult coming back and us going to islands and and all that sort of thing makes perfect sense it could very well be old Gotti relation because, and again, go back to the thing where, you know, we talk about, we woke up Nazah and what is he doing? Where was his prison located? We talk about that. It was, you know, under the water. Well, that's Azara's domain. She made a deal with an old God somewhere. could be that that was the old God she made a deal with. Um, there's also very old Gotti sort of tentacles. And then I know that's sort of a weird thing to, to point out, but like when you look at the Zandalar, islands or Zoldalar, uh you got those weird tentacles and all of a sudden you have these these trolls trying to kill the other trolls what if that's all related what if that's something that's just happening there that is old Gotti that you know now that influence is being exerted more powerfully i don't know i would love to see something like that happen mostly because i absolutely adore old god stuff and i want to know more about how that all is playing out so that could be potentially me just being like hey this is what i want so i'm going to start to see the uh the circles there that I want to see. But I think that there's a lot hinting that there, the battle for Azeroth might not necessarily just mean total all out war between us and whether it ends up being a setup for the next expansion or what, I'm still holding out hope that there's, there's some more influence going on in the back end. Okay. Rossi, I know you have thoughts on this, so please spill them. Well, I'm like one of the things I was saying before was that the whole battle for Azeroth thing with the, the heart of Azeroth and so forth seems to tie into the idea that, we are not just fighting for Azeroth in terms of territory, but we are actually fighting at some point for the, the world slash Titan soul of Azeroth. The whole Azerite thing always seems to go there, too. Uh, one of the things I think is interesting is that we're – I'm just going to call it now. We are going to see Hakar again. Uh, at the yes, end please. Of ca- yes, at please. And in, in Cataclysm, when we did the Zul'Grub five-man, we broke Hakar free of his mm-hmm. bonds. And mm-hmm. remember – it was the Zandalar who were binding him. Jindo yeah. was working for the Zandalar, and he immediately goes, "I don't have time for you. You go. You get to live because I have something else I want to do." I guarantee you, the first thing he did as the Blood God was go and get revenge. Now, two mm, things to remember God, about Hakar. Blood trolls. Yeah. Two things to remember about Hakar is a yes, Blood God. He's a Loa, and b he's a Loa who made some kind of pact with something and they've never told us what we don't know what Hakar's deal is yet. Hakar's so, always been kind of one of those fascinating figures ever since vanilla. Yeah. The original cataclysm fight with uh, original, oh. original vanilla oh, fight shit. with Hakar. I yeah. just thought of something. Okay, go. Where does Hakar reside? He resides he in the fights. shadowlands. Yes, he does. That's where you fight to, to break the chains on him. Mm-hmm. That's where he is when you do that. So, yeah, that's also something to keep in mind. He's a rival to Bonsamdi, and Bonsamdi, we know, is going to be a big deal in this expansion as well. So there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, I do think that, you know, Azeroth, the world soul slash Titan, is involved. I think we know that she is because that's the artifact we, necklace we get is tied to her. And I think Hakar in, is going to be a huge part of the Zandalar 
storyline and we're going to find out what he has to do with the island sinking because he he definitely is involved in the swamp where the the blood trolls live what his goals are what he's doing it's very much going to be there um and i i for one am interested in that and it's kind of a shame i won't get to see as much of it if i if i start on my alliance being first which is one of the reasons i'm actually thinking about playing my torn first uh in battle for azeroth thinking about playing the horde uh, just because I think I, I kind of want to play on the winning side this time, and I do, I do have a feeling that the Horde are going to like win as much as anybody wins anything in this expansion. Uh, I I don't know exactly where we're going to go with any of it, but I am interested. And one of the things I'm interested about is this idea that I, first off, I don't know we we don't know that Ashar is actually a boss, do we? Have they actually said she's a boss? Like she's going to be fightable, or have they just said yeah. you know she's going to be around? They like, said she's going to be Aris. around. I think that they said that she was going to be a boss or something like that. They did have developmental art of her, yeah, and it's they, gorgeous. They, yeah. yeah, I saw the art. Mm-hmm. I thought the art was amazing. I just I don't know with Ashar. Like the idea of us fighting her, I I don't know. She's one of those characters where I feel like even if we do fight her, it's at best going to be. Like, you know, it's her. Like the she's, dungeon she, where she says, okay, I'm done with you now. Tra-la-la. And then leaves. She's very Xanatosi. You know what I mean? Like, even yeah. if you fight her, it's going to end up being like, oh, well, you, you won and thus completely furthered my plan. What? Yeah, no, that's totally, that was my plan. Your plan was to, to lose a fight with us. Oh, no, I had a plan if I beat you, too. I'm, you know, I always have plans. But, <laughs> I yeah, have a I, million I, I, different plans. But, I've had um, 10,000 years to come up with plans. <laughs> after 10,000 years, I'm free, by the way. It's time to conquer Azor. Uh, just, just in general, I feel like the old god uh, Titan stuff is going to be important. Like we, they mentioned that there's a Titan vault in in Zuldazar, I think, or somewhere in yeah. Zandalar. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be that it's built on essentially like the Temple of Elune. It's it's a Titan vault ish area. Yeah, so there's there is stuff to to do. Zandalar Isle. It's funny too because Zandalar Isle is like a Mount Hyjal in reverse. It's like a Mount Hyjal mirror. Uh, if you look at the importance of the old, the wild gods there, there are specific Loa that have always lived there. It's very important to them. And if you look at old Kalimdor, they're kind of on opposite sides of the of the well. So yeah, I, I am interested in seeing what we what we get to see when we go there. Um, and in terms of like you well, know stuff that isn't just toward alliance conflict, I do think we're going to hear more about the old gods. I do think Nizoth is going to come up, but more importantly, I definitely think we're going to learn that Hakar is connected to them. See, and I'm, I'm really interested about that, too, because we're going to a place where all the trolls were traditionally would go to sort of coexist for whatever important rituals. But each of the troll uh, factions, right, they all had their own Loas. And I'm really interested to see this place, too, because not only could it potentially have some some links to the old gods, but I'm really curious what happens when you go to a place where all of the Loas could theoretically coexist or interfere or interact and that's a massive list and i'm really curious i the reason that i liked this question was because it was talking about double meetings and that kind of thing and that was one of those things that i'd been exploring um in the queue a couple weeks ago somebody asked me about whether or not the faction war would get more personal now that it's sylvanas and anduin instead of varian and garrosh or whatever and i kind of sidetracked into what I thought the expansion was looking like because to me it looks like the whole battle for Azeroth thing yeah there's several layers to it but it also looks like the expansion itself is kind of almost deliberately exploring that dichotomy between life and death because you see it kind of embraced in the trailer there where Sylvanas like embraces that banshee undead aspect of herself and uses that to bolster the horde and when embraces that light side of himself that side that's like a nurturer a healer whatever have what have you and uses that to bolster the side of the alliance so there's there's this deliberate like face-off between those two aspects there and when you look at sylvanas's journey thus far she's an undead person who's trying to find new life for her people and then you have anduin who would love to do nothing more but celebrate life and kind of foster that whole peace and diplomacy thing that he really likes but he's kind of being forced into this leadership role in the midst of death and war and he very much has to has to deal with that so we've got like we've got this undead faction leader who's searching for renewed life for herself and her people 
you know, in, in the face of everything that, that fate has dealt her. And then we've got this bright, shining alliance faction leader who is completely alive and embraces life in all of its aspects and would love to, nothing more than to just foster that and foster the idea of peace. But instead, he's forced to deal with the grim reality of death. So there's like this kind of dovetail thing going on here. I don't know if you guys can see this or not. It, it it just kind of like occurred to me while I was watching the trailer. But I mean, when you move out back from that, though, when you move back farther from that, you've got the Alliance versus the Horde. But what are they fighting for, really? They're fighting for their own survival. They're fighting for the life of their faction on Azeroth. And then you go even farther back than that. And you've got Azeroth herself, and she's wounded, and we're fighting to keep her alive. So there's like several levels to this. And I don't think that Battle for Azeroth is really just a matter of territory or anything like that. I, I think it's got several different layers to it. And yeah, I think we're going to see something with the Titans and the Old Gods. I think we're going to see, obviously, because we're, we're dealing with Azeroth. She's kind of an integral part of our leveling experience. We got that necklace piece from her. We're gathering her lifeblood. We're trying to help her heal. So, I don't know. Those are my thoughts on it. I don't know what you guys think. I think at this point, I, we've all talked about it a lot, so I don't, <laughs> well, I, I, I don't have anything further to add. I definitely think that it's going to be more than just, you know, let's fight over some islands. I, I definitely think there's going yeah. to be some, yeah, there's going to be some repercussions. There's, and, there's something you know. beefier here than just Alliance versus Horde. I think there's something beefier here. And the Alliance versus Horde thing is just what we were given in, as like the introduction. It's the taste that we were given of this whole thing. But it's definitely not the whole story. Like It kind of reminds me of Mists of Pandaria. A little bit, yeah. Where, where they were given, we were told about there'd be faction fighting on Pandaria and we'd go to Pandaria. But we weren't really told okay, the, the Shah, how important they were, how the Mogu were going to take off. There's, there's stuff that's going to happen that we have we don't yet know. I think that's an obvious thing. Okay. Um, I think we have time for one last email here, so we'll do this one. This one is from Martin Ho, who says, Greetings, Watchers. I've heard that Rathion is in Stormwind, and I'm glad that he wasn't totally forgotten this expansion. My question is, what do you think will, his, will be his future role in the Alliance, and does Anwin know that he was the one who brought Gul'dan to this world? Thank you, Martin Ho. I do have to point out, if people are wondering what this is referencing, uh, at the playable demo that they had at BlizzCon, if you went on the Alliance side, there was a section in Stormwind that had all of the leaders, and Rathion was there. He didn't say anything, he had no dialogue, he had no nothing, but he wasn't present in Orgrimmar. He was just there in Stormwind. Now, what we want to keep in mind with this, though, is this is a demo station at BlizzCon. It's not the finished product. So we don't know if he's actually going to just be on the Alliance side, or if he wasn't putting on the Horde side just yet, or what's going on with him or anything like that. There's no story yet. Um, so this is all just complete speculation. Go for it, guys. <laughs> Alliance bias. <laughs> Look, Andwin is his friend. Like in War Crimes, oh, yeah, he Frank, actually called he, he, Andwin his friend. Uh huh. Friends. So... I got some fanfic we'll all talk about later. Anyway, <laughs> um, I, I, if Rathion is just over on the Alliance side, not the Horde side, there's a variety of reasons like for that, which could just be come down to him being friendly slash emotionally tied to, to Anduin. It could just be that. He might not be there to advise in any sort of war capacity. He might just be there because his friend is king. And there's kind of a tradition of Anduin hanging out as king of Stormwind and a black dragon there secretly telling him what to do. Yeah. That's just a tradition. You know, you don't want to skip tradition. You want to keep going. Auntie uh, Anixia can't be there, so Rathia will just step up in her but, but also, I mean, maybe he's there because he sees the Alliance as the more stable force. Maybe he's there, you know, if if he's not on the other side when this goes live. Maybe he's not even going to be there and somebody was having fun. And You know, I don't, I, I, I can't speak to what's going on at a, a keep demo table. Keep in mind at the end of the Legendary Quest chain... Rathion tells you, no matter if you're Horde or Alliance, he says that he chose to back the Alliance. Like, that was his choice. Yeah. Because he figured that the Alliance would pull it off. And then he was really angry that Varian didn't finish it when they had the upper hand. Um, yeah, it's very possible that he now feels the Horde is in a better position, so he's going to work with the Alliance to get them destroyed so that the Horde can take over. It might be that he still feels the Alliance is the better bet. and You know... I, I can't say. I do know that one thing, though, 
uh, Rathian being there, if he's actually there, if he's there when this game goes live, if he is in Stormwind, the guy is not telling you what his real goals are. Whatever no. he oh, says no. to you, not even when close. you talk to him, yeah, when you talk to him in game and he, whatever he says, if he says it's a nice day, I think I'll go have a pie. That pie is loaded with sinister intent. There is more going on with that pie than you have any any idea about. He's not leaving to go get a pie. See, He's leaving to go do something else entirely. Yeah, possibly and, and I, involving pie, but it's it's pick up be a pie on think. the way back. But and I would be absolutely okay too. Like if he if this is all part of a big scheme by the Black Dragonflight, what's left? Because and we talked about this before. Ebonhorn's out there, and Ebonhorn, when we last interacted with him, said, "I'm going to go find my family." Well, his family is definitely Rathian. So and that's it. Yeah, that that that's that's the uncorrupted black dragon flight. That that's it. So what did they talk about? Because you know darn well they talked. What's their plan? Because you know darn well they got a plan. And I would be okay if maybe yeah, Rathian's doing his alliance stuff. That's where his buddy Anduin is. Ebonhorn sort of you know I mean he came over with the high his, mountain. Yeah, the high mountain are going to the horde. It would make sense that that that's part of the reason why they did. If that was part of the game plan, you know, we should really go over there. They, they seem to get us. That's where our, our, our long descended cousins are. That's where we should go. And then they're like, well, Ebonhorn the wise says we should do this. Why not? This is a great idea. So I could totally see this being some larger plot. And I'm a okay with that. The two of you just made something really strange happen in my head though. We do that regularly. Cause, cause, cause here's, here's <laughs> what you started. You've got Ebonhorn over and possibly on the horde side. You've got Rathian over possibly on the Alliance side, but there is another there is a third black dragon out there. Yeah, he's out on Outland. Was out on Outland. Is he back? Doesn't I know of no knowledge of this, but he could come back. Mm. And if you've got two uncorrupted black dragons manipulating the the alliance and the horde, what if there's a third black dragon that doesn't necessarily like either faction very much? He's not and uncorrupted either. No, he is not. And He's the last of Deathwing's line. But he's a direct a direct descendant, not some eggs that were in a cave somewhere or some eggs that were put together. You know, both Ebonhorn and Rathian had different Titan devices used to purify them. This is true. Sibelian did not. No, he was just there. And that means, according to the Rathian quest back in Cataclysm, that the old gods can still talk to him. Well, yeah. And that would make, oh, yeah, that could be some potential strife there, too. And there's all sorts of interesting things you could do with, like, a Black Dragon Flights in this expansion and then in the future expansions. Because we had the Chromie scenario. Oh, God, what if we're pawns in the Black Dragons game? <laughs> well, there's, we had the Chromie scenario. You guys remember that thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Rathion was up there at the the For Obsidian Dragon Shine. He was just in the area and decided he would pop by and see what was yeah. going on. <laughs> uh-huh. Which yeah. it makes about as much yeah, that's about as valid like as pie? going out. Would you like some pie? <laughs> I happen to be picking one up. There's a delicious pie stand over there. No, yeah. there's there's layers here and I, I'm i I'm seriously thinking about if if you've got that like we never found out exactly who was trying to kill Chromie? We don't know. Rathion is Chromie one of those characters. Rathion is one of those characters that I'm going to write about in I Know Your Lore fairly shortly here because I think we need to revisit him. But yeah. yeah. Chromie here, we never found out, but it was in the near future. Yeah. As in, we were in Legion when we were doing it. There were certainly demons involved in it, but it wasn't. You know, it wasn't demon oriented. It wasn't a demon strike. There were demons. There were undead. There was all kinds of people yeah. that were very angry at Chromie for a variety of reasons, which was odd. Yes. So I, I'm going to say that we should pay attention and see if there's another Chromie scenario at some point that's like the other end of that. Like, but Yeah, because I feel like they wouldn't have introduced that Chromie scenario and given us that story if it hadn't had a point. And the thing is, is like when it resolves it's like oh there was no point but there is a point there always has to be a point there's a point there somewhere we just haven't figured out what it was just yet um whether or not we'll see that addressed in battle for azeroth or not not sure but i guarantee you we'll see that come back at some point in the future 
<laughs> There's no way we won't. There's no way we won't. Um, as far as the other question that you had there, though, Martin Ho, where you said, uh, does Anwin know that Rathion was the one who brought Gul'dan to this world? Technically speaking, Rathion wasn't the one that brought Gul'dan to this world. That was us. Uh, that was all our doing. <laughs> or you could, I think you can most directly credit Kill Jaden, since Kill Jaden is when it was talking to him. And it's definitely... And Archimonde was the one that kind of hooked him through the portal to begin with. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was more of the Burning Legion type thing. Did Rathion help facilitate Garrosh's journey onto Draenor? Yes. Did he know where Garrosh was going to end up? Good question. Yeah, we don't know the answer to that one. We don't know much about Rathion and Kairos's dealings with each other, but it may have been another one of those pie situations where Rathion went to Kairos or Kairos showed up and said, hey, would you be interested in this pie? And neither one of them really spoke about what they really were after because I don't feel like Rathion would have deliberately helped him had he known about this whole plan with the infinite dragonflight thing I, I don't think that Rathion would have been on board with that so there was some kind of reasoning there that I still don't think we're 100% clear on but I don't think I mean you can't say that Rathion was responsible for bringing Gul'dan back because he had nothing to do with it um, he was pretty hands-off all throughout Draenor, really. Uh, he was there to observe when we did finish the legendary ring quest chain, and he was mentioned in, what was it? It was Admiral Taylor's garrison log or whatever, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was, he, that, was yep. he was mentioned very briefly in that, and that was the extent of it. We never really found out what exactly he was up to out there. It could be that he was trying to track down Kairos and figure out what the heck Kairos was doing. Um, or he could have been trying to kind of facilitate this whole thing, maybe bring the Legion War to Azeroth faster to get it all over with. Don't know. Really don't know. Anyway, anything to add, Joe? Nope. That's pretty much it. Okay. Well, uh, we're running out of time here, so let's go ahead and wrap this up. If you have any emails for Lorewatch, please feel free to send those to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Include Lorewatch in the subject line. And please try and keep your emails brief because we do like to read them on the air, but we can't do that when they're longer than our Know Your Lore columns. Anyway, <laughs> Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch, and your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And for you guys, listeners of Lore Watch, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. They've got many of Blizzard's titles there, Warcraft titles, and I think they've got some other titles as well available in audiobook format if you'd like to check those out and sign up for that free 30-day trial and help support the show you can sign up at blizzardwatch.com slash audible um, final thoughts you guys Battle for Azeroth how much time do you think it's going to be before we move beyond the whole faction war aspect is it going to be one of those things where we get into the leveling experience and by the end of the leveling experience and stepping into endgame all of a sudden we've got a different story or do you think this is going to carry out all the way through joe i think it's it's going to depend very largely on the content of christy golden's book <laughs> i honestly but I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to depend very largely on how much is resolved or set up during that period, because that's going to sort of dictate how long we have to play in the game before that comes to a resolution. So I know it's going to happen, but I mean, you it could very well be at the end of the leveling experience, which would make sense because you get to the end and then all of a sudden, well, this has been going on the entire time you've been wasting your time, so you should probably go deal with that. I could totally see something like that. Um, I honestly would not be upset if that was the case either. Okay, Rossi, same question. I don't know, because I'm starting to think that the faction conflict is going to be part of a deeper underlying story where you, it reminds me of Cataclysm when the, when the betrayal that didn't happen, the, the Ramath thing. Uh, I feel like we're going to start seeing some figures, even when it starts moving into a new phase, some figures are going to pop up as surprises that we didn't expect them to be involved in the way that they're involved, if that makes sense. Um but I don't know. I have no idea. I think that it's at least going to be part of the initial round of raids and everything like that, if not through the first major patch of Battle for Azeroth, because at the very least, we've got that whole Warfront thing going on, and that's an endgame feature, if I remember correctly, isn't it? Uh, I think so, yeah. I Absolutely. think that's an endgame. It's, 
The Warfronts are in-game because you start doing them as like little kind of mini-scenarios once yeah. you've hit max level, because they happen all over the world. Like, they're, okay. they're islands, you know, throughout. So, yeah, that, that's an in-game feature. So I definitely think that's going to be there. You're totally right on that. So I'm going to say that that faction conflict is at least going to carry a little way into the end-game experience. I don't... What I'm wondering here is, is the faction war going to end up being our Suramar? where we get to a certain point and then it, it's a resolution and then we move on into the next chapter of the story which would be, you know, the Broken Shore and then Argus beyond that and all of that is kind of like beyond the faction conflict and I'm interested to see. I'm interested to see how they resolve that. I think it's going to be our Suramar because at the end of it orcs are going to join the Alliance. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no one's more alive. Is that more alliance bias? I'm confused. <laughs> I, don't I don't know. know. <laughs> All right. That's it for the show. Thank you guys very much for listening. And we will see you again in two weeks. 